0: Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. I am delighted to have as a guest today, Jared Schmutzler, who was a speaker at the September 23 uh, GeoMob Berlin a couple weeks ago. So... Um, Great that we can get them now on the podcast so we can share share their story with a bit of a, a wider audience. Yorit is one of the co-founders of a company called Peregrine, Peregrine.ai, um, which is to quote to quote their website, building the next generation of video analytics. So uh, as I understand it, basically installing all kinds of cameras and sensors into vehicles and and collecting all that data and joining it up. So um, that's obviously a very interesting topic, so um, great to have you here on the show you know, to tell us what it's all about.
1: Yeah, thanks so much uh, Ed, for the opportunity. Really love the format and community
0: around and uh, their events and podcasts, and appreciate the invite today. Uh, my, my pleasure. Yeah, but go ahead, please. Tell us, introduce yourself, and then let's dive right in. What exactly is Paragon? Perfect. Yeah, um, myself, as as you mentioned already, I'm one of the co-founders of
1: Peregrine. uh, have a very technical background, as I'd say, also most uh, of uh, our team at Peregrine AI. We're really a group of highly motivated techies with a strong background in autonomous driving, robotics and computer vision. And uh, that's the industry we've been working in for for many, many years, uh, trying to make autonomous vehicles a reality. Um, But we were not really satisfied with the impact we were having there. If you open uh, your window today, you still don't see a lot of those uh, driving around in the streets. Um, however, we felt that the, the perception technology, so the part of it that, that should enable these these robots or systems, autonomous systems, to perceive the environment and derive decisions based on that, was already in a very powerful state. Um, and that's where we sat together and said, hey, how can we build new business and impactful business models on top of this perception technology? That's how Peregrine was born. So, um, we essentially started 2019 rewriting a perception stack based uh, on cameras, so cameras are our preferred sensor, in a way that we can deploy it on aftermarket devices, very inexpensive aftermarket devices. Such devices are, for example, smartphones, tablets, dashcams, or embedded cameras. We then use those to evaluate the video stream, what these cameras see, and these sensors see directly there at the edge in real time, that's around, uh, depending a bit on the device, on the camera and on the compute we have available, between 3 to 15 times per second, the always varies a bit. Um, <clears throat> but the important part is that, that all of that processing happens directly where the sensor sits and, and doesn't really need as much compute as you would uh, know it or be used to it from an autonomous vehicle. This visual context information is then used on the one hand, to provide a very holistic risk assessment of driving behavior. So all of these cameras that that we work with, they sit usually behind windshields in vehicles, or mostly commercial vehicles, uh, perceive the environment, and then at the same time measure how a driver re- reacts with respect to uh, changes in that outside environment and that surrounding environment. And uh, that uh, em- enables modern video telematics, is
0: what we call video telematics. Um. Yeah, so you're, I, I have a lot of questions here because this is, this is quite a lot to digest. So, so, this is fascinating. So, you're just using the, the driver's own device, like the, 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 their phone or dash cam or whatever, and then what you create a device that, that kind of captures those feeds and does the processing there? Is that how I understand it correctly? We we strongly recommend a dedicated device and that's
1: uh, so it can be a dedicated smartphone or a smartphone that's also used for other purposes but we made the experience that if we rely on individual smartphones, personal phones or devices of drivers that they're just not often enough in place uh, behind the windshield with a clear view of the road and the environment. But it can exactly, it can be a smartphone, it can be a dashcam that has a bit of compute that sits behind the windshield in a commercially used vehicle we have a strong focus on commercial vehicles because they drive a lot and experience a lot of uh, dangerous situations, risky situations, and that's where we feel we can make the biggest impact. But it is usually a dedicated device, a dedicated dashcam, or or a tablet, a phone, or something like that.
0: And then what? The immediate product is that you then provide an alert to the driver that okay, you're entering a dangerous situation, or or uh, uh, what is the what is the model behind all this? Or you're capturing this data just for kind of later analysis? to say, oh, this is a dangerous driver or something? Or what, what, what's the output, basically, of all these sensors? So, we understand ourselves as the enabler
1: of all these different things and, and work together with partners such as telematic service providers. So, it's not even, we don't even own the camera in most of the cases, but it's someone else who brings in that dash cam, uh, offers fleet uh, management um, services, offers video telematic services around that, and leverages our intelligence, our risk assessment, and, and uh, the perception of the environment to then do something with, it, with that information. And that could, for example, be warning the driver in real time, if a driver tailgates too aggressively, if a driver is about to run a red light or run a stop sign or things like that. So those are all things and, and, and uh, information that we perceive in real time with a latency of around 0.2, 0.3 seconds, again, depending a bit on the hardware, and that then can be used on the one hand to, to enable direct driver interaction, but on the other hand, of course, as well then uh, to later via a, a web interface highlight uh, incidents that happened almost accidents or aggressive driving behavior also where other people ignored the right-of-way of way off, off the driver uh, and uh, essentially to protect the driver and then but also to incentivize good behavior.
0: But that, I'm just blown away that you're doing this with standard off-the-shelf kind of devices. You know, I, my, I, I've never never i haven't kept up on this uh, autonomous driving uh, you know space but i always just assumed they had all kinds of sensors all kinds of special sensors and things and um you know that was just my assumption that this was would be needed maybe maybe for the benefit of listeners like myself who you know are aware that there's been big progress on sensors and and the capabilities of your phones and things like that but haven't really you know played with it i mean what what is possible? I mean, you're just literally using the video feed, or are there other sensors that are involved? A Very good question. Maybe let me first make that this dist- uh, that
1: distinction between autonomous vehicles and what we do and. Uh, It's true. Uh, Essentially, we're we're trying to to achieve a similar environmental perception and understanding of the environment. Uh, But there are significant differences between us and an autonomous vehicle. So we, with our systems, are okay and accept that compromise that we will miss say one in a hundred dangerous situations, or that we do not detect one in a hundred pedestrians. So but in ninety nine percent of the cases we will still capture all of these things in these situations. That is of course a, a huge value add if you provide that as an as an add-on as a value added service but it's not good enough to steer a vehicle because if you steer a vehicle you may definitely not miss one in a hundred pedestrians right. but that last that last percent and also that reaction time where we have a latency of 0.2 0.3 seconds uh, that, that would be too much for an autonomous system would be too slow and uh, an autonomous system cannot miss one in a hundred cases of dangerous situations or so but that last one percent is exponentially expensive so there you, you want to have redundant sensors uh, you don't just want to rely on a camera a camera that the, the field of view might be obstructed for whatever reason you have a leaf on the windshield directly in front of the lens and what do you do if you're an autonomous vehicle that's a huge problem if you rely on a single camera uh, you don't have highly accurate distance measurements that you would get from a lidar or where a radar supports so all of these sensors are missing for us, and we have far less redundancy, but i 'd say for for you know ninety percent of the cases especially to to um, show what 's really going on on the streets why things are happening incentivize good behavior uh, offer uh, in a lot of cases also warnings it 's really good enough what we have. And uh, regarding the second part of your questions, we do uh, rely on additional sensors. Camera is our main sensor, that's where also our our expertise lies in really making sense of what the camera sees, but additionally we have IMUs um, where we have an accelerometer A magnetometer, so we know the orientation of the vehicle. We feel the forces the vehicle is experiencing, how fast it is. We have a GPS. We know where it is and and what time it is, and uh, that complements uh, our our environmental understanding and helps us to understand how a driver is reacting.
0: And and so, who mainly is using this? Is this? I assume this is more fleets or professional. Uh, 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 fleets of governmental vehicles or, or or professional drivers and not private citizens is that is that a correct assumption or
1: yes that is uh, today definitely the correct assumption um, that's where we see that we can have the biggest impact and also where where the the benefit is the biggest because uh, commercially used vehicles especially vehicles that are Uh, that are supposed to have a high uptime, that are optimized for for being um, as much as possible on the road, uh, for parcel delivery, for transport also of people, so taxis, Ubers, etc. Those experience in in complex environments the most of uh, difficult and and dangerous uh, situations. And that's where we see us with our system uh, being able to provide the, the biggest impact and benefit because uh, these, these complex situations and, and sceneries, that's where we can, in a very short amount of time, support with insights
0: and, and behavioral insights, but also environmental insights. And so the data, you, you mentioned that the processing is, of course, happening in real time locally in the vehicle. But is the data then captured and stored somewhere centrally? Or is it it's just kind of you're acting on it in real time and then kind of throwing it away? Or it, how, does, how does that work? Yeah, that was a very good question, thanks. So um, we, we do the
1: processing of, of the image right there at the sensor in real time and then decide what part of that information and, and that we just obtained from that scenery and also from the IMU is relevant. For all kinds of, of uh, further purposes, or also for reviewing a certain situation, for going back to it, for performance benchmarks and understanding how a vehicle was being used, etc. So we, we essentially create a description of the scenery. That's usually only metadata, very limited. You can say there was another vehicle in front of us at that and that velocity with that and that distance, and that's kind of a, a description we would collect and, and send back. To a backend where this is then being centralized and is available uh, for, for further use and, and for statistics. And additionally, uh, that's something that I haven't mentioned uh, in the beginning, but what we also do with these cameras is that we source a lot of uh, other information that has uh, high value to, to third parties. Say, for example, traffic signs and their locations is something that we automatically detect, record and then can monetize, for example, towards map makers. Uh, similarly, it's uh, infrastructure: uh, the roads, the surface of the roads, road surface damage. Some, something that our devices detect, uh, then uh, essentially send back information to our backend saying, at location X, Y, uh, on the date of 16th November, that's where I detected a crack or a pothole, and, and that's then information we can uh, monetize to cities.
0: Right, I see, I could see how that would be very valuable. I guess one one question that immediately comes up anytime someone is collecting data is, of course, privacy. So I guess if you're only storing kind of a meta summary of of incidents and things like that, but I mean, do you have to be very careful about kind of blacking things out or, you know, both the, I mean, I guess there's two issues. There's the privacy of the people who are seen on the camera. But then I guess there could also be an issue of kind of the privacy of the driver, right, of, of as an employee kind of recording everywhere they drive all the time and things like that. I don't know. I guess I guess there's some, uh, you know, different different opinions. There. So is, should that be kept private or not? Or is that how do you how do you treat all this? Yeah, very, very important question, thanks, especially in Germany, I'd
1: say, and, uh, that's, also, <laughs> that's also something we're proud of, that, uh, that we make this happen in Germany and that we are very, very concerned about the privacy of, of course, people who use these devices, but also uh, third parties that are potentially in images that we analyze. And uh, first of all, I think that the most important step in all of this is to bring the intelligence the processing of that image material directly to the sensor so that it never leaves these devices that raw image material and and uh, in large quantities and gets centralized in a backend which would make a say you have a thousand vehicles permanently driving around in a city like Berlin or so you'd have you have almost perfect surveillance material. Um, And and that's, of course, very dangerous. And that's uh, why we say, okay, we we need to do all that, that processing and information gathering, that analysis of the driving behavior of the environment that needs to happen at the edge. And then what we collect is, is only these scene descriptions. It's still going to tell you, OK, that vehicle experienced an environment where two other vehicles were present. But that's about the, the information you have. So you, you won't be able to identify what uh, vehicles those were, uh, who sat in them, or you can't, you can't follow them through uh, the day or through, through the city or
0: so. But for example, if there's an accident, right? If, 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 if I'm a bus driver and you know, I'm involved in an accident, So you're not able to access the data to then try to determine who was at fault in the accident or to recreate the accident or things like that, or...? We, we can in, in very highly selective cases, but that won't allow you to,
1: to follow third parties okay. that are not part of an accident or so. So if we detect that an accident happened or something like that, as uh, so is something very significant, then we do collect small video snippets and, and send them back and they're available then to the fleet management or to the driver for insurance purposes. Um, and in an accident case, the, the, the interest of the damaged party that goes essentially beyond the privacy interest of third parties being present in such an image, so there we don't need to protect those or anonymize those, but we go. We have one case in between that somehow then so I think it's less than 0.1% of the cases where it's really an, an accident and where you collect uh, raw image material, but then what you additionally experience a lot uh, is uh, significant events where almost accidents happened, where a red light was being ignored where another driver uh, took away the r- uh, right-of-way of, of the own vehicle and things like that. And That's also where we collect small video snippets, but in these video snippets, we then automatically anonymize uh, personal information of other traffic participants. So faces get blurred and number
0: plates get automatically blurred. And again, you, you don't hold any personal information in these images. I can imagine it gets quite complex though. Um... Uh, I mean, you mentioned insurance companies. I could imagine i mean what what percentage of vehicles out there are using this type of technology, and I could imagine insurance companies are very uh, interested in getting it on hundred percent because then you know anytime there's an accident or whatever we can see who's to blame or things like that how do you, um, you know how do you see that?
1: Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, so we, we, we see that varying widely between different markets uh, across the world, also even within Europe, um, but also from segment to segment. So in the commercial space, especially uh, in, in uh, the delivery space where, where you have all these Amazon vehicles and, and, and uh, subcontractors that deliver parcels, last mile delivery, uh, we work together with, with a few fleets, Uh, where we know they won't even get insurance if they don't put in some kind of video telematics device or dashcam device. And uh, insurers also do realize that, um, that there is huge potential to incentivize good behavior and safe driving before something happens. So not just having proof in case of when something happens, who's really at fault, but incentivize good behavior and, and protecting with a value-added service before something happens, uh, there's a win for, for everyone in that, right? The insurance will have less costs. The fleet will have to pay less insurance premium, but also have less business interruption, etc. cetera. So that, there's huge interest, but it's still at the same time a challenge because insurers never really have worked with such kind of data, so they kind of need to, to explore and get used to that.
0: Well, I guess, I guess then that's partially the role of companies like yours, right, to educate the market as to what's possible and what, what's available and uh, making it easy to use in the case of an incident and things like that. So, um, how, I mean, tell us, uh, we've covered the technology here quite a bit. How is it going as a, as a business for you guys? How, uh, what, uh, you, can you share any numbers? Like, uh, you know, how many vehicles out there are using your technology and how, how's the, how is the market in general? Yeah, the, the market is super dynamic, it's, it's very exciting for us, very,
1: very interesting. I think generally the supply in in, in terms of data services and, and smart computer vision products is, is skyrocketing. Um, there are so many exciting and creative ideas around um but it's it's also it's for many i think it's still challenging to to find that right match to how to deal with what data and when does it come in and i think that that it will remain crucial to yeah leverage services and products that can automatically understand and identify relevant data without creating huge costs. So we see a lot of, in the market, a lot of business models or a lot of um uh, approaches to to just collect huge amounts of data, then process them centrally, uh, and then extract something that formerly would have been uh, collected manually. We, for example, in, in Germany, we have still people walking around with a paper and a pen and and looking for road surface damage, noting a location, taking a picture with a camera. And that's that's very manual, and now. The, the the obvious first intuitive answer is okay let's just uh, take a camera drive down every road once then take all that video material process it in the cloud but that's that's still very manual and very cost intensive so so moving all of that to to devices that themselves understand when there is a relevant data point and only then sending that data point back uh, i think that's where we as Peregrine position ourselves excellently in terms of identifying only relevant data and providing only relevant data. And this is where we also see the market realizing this is a sustainable model, sustainable business model uh, that has very uh, little overhead in terms of uh, processing and collection. It only collects what's relevant and, and has most of it processed already. So that's where we, where we see the market going a bit and where we
0: also think our USP is. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I think this is a case where the technology has advanced so quickly. I mean, not not so much in terms of obviously we've had cameras for a while, but that the data can be captured, can be processed locally, that you can the technologies to extract only the pieces that are relevant uh, to get that deployed on all the vehicles to to then get back the actually the only the information that is relevant and get that into people who can the hands of people who can use it in a, in a way that they can they're actually able to make sense of it i think there's still probably quite a bit of work to be done there you know I, I would i would guess and and then to add that in as you say into the the processes of it of you know bigger slower moving organizations like insurance companies or obviously government um you know probably that's the work of of a decade to come i would i'm just guessing uh, so um I think, I think i agree with you there's a lot uh, but that but that's why
1: i say it's, it's super dynamic it's very very exciting because suddenly all these things are possible but there's also still a lot of work to be done because that there's then company like companies like us that that take A lot of of this formerly manual information collection and and central processing, and disrupt that whole idea and model, and enable things that, that weren't possible before. For example, a map maker would probably love to update their maps uh, every 24 hours, but uh, in, in a model, as they were obtaining information before, we all know these these vehicles with uh, huge cameras on top that drive around once a year through the country and through the cities and, and take in information, that's way too expensive to do that every 24 hours. Through us, something like that becomes becomes possible. But again, then the, the, the whole pipelines and processes of, of dealing with that data are not really there, and that that interface has to be created also from from the other sides taking in that data that we provide in, in that format and so on. And uh, this is this is where a lot of work still is uh, yeah is being done, and, and uh, where where a lot of things are still happening.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, so what can we expect uh, looking forward? I mean. Uh, w- w- Both, I would say, for the market generally. I mean, do you you think there'll be more innovation on the types of sensors and things like that? Or the innovation will be more on creating these processes and cultural adoption of them? And and so, A, for the market generally. But, of course, I mean, what do you you guys specifically have planned? Yes, I think, uh, as I mentioned, um, the... uh the supply and the ideas and
1: the the creativity that's that's currently is just getting wider and and vaster and there's there's so much in terms of ideas around data services even we are faced with very creative um, uh, inquiries and requests we had for example an operator of a solar park inquiring whether we could deliver real-time data about where there are clouds in the sky so that that person could predict the output of the solar park better uh, things like that, or graffiti on walls. Right, where, where do we need to clean a wall? Where where uh, has something happened? Cracks and bridges and so on. So it's gonna the the, the actual um, the actual how do you say putting putting these things into scalable business models and processes and so on. These ideas really in something that continuously works. That that is that is definitely the challenge and. Um, then making something out of it that, that will also continue to to run um,
0: yeah can we can we repeat that question i think that's well, I, I just what what you know what can we expect going forward you know will we see more innovation on the device side and what data is captured uh, or and, or is the innovation much more kind of in the the business processes and in both in general for the market, but I mean also for, for you guys in Peregrine. What, what, what are your goals for the, the 2024?
1: yeah I think it's definitely both is the case so we will we will see a, a lot more supply in terms of data and data services but where where we also see that a lot of innovation is ha- is happening and also necessary is in applications working with that data because I think a lot of the the typical data consumers we think about also we think about a peregrine um, where we say hey uh, infrastructure management road surface damages and so on they're not directly used to working uh, with data being supplied in, in, at such a high frequency and, and coverage. So in good application, taking that in and, and uh, building that interface towards the, the end consumers of these data points, I think that's, that's what's also very important and where we will see a lot of uh, also applications that aggregate data, that, that uh, make it easy to work with that data uh, and so on, where we see ourselves mainly as the supplier of, of this data, having a large coverage with many many cameras out there and providing these relevant data points already curated uh, to to be consumed and by an application making it easy for someone to, to work with that. And the ultimate goal being really uh, to enable their uh, updates within 24 hours. So uh, detecting a change in the, in, in the infrastructure, in the environment, say a new traffic sign, a construction site or something like that, and uh, being able to, to make that data point arrive in a map product or uh, for a city to work with in less than 24 hours.
0: Very impressive, very nice, and uh, uh, quite an ambitious goal. It's, um, it's fascinating to think of you know the problems used to be. I'm thinking back now, 10, 15 years or whatever. You know we would dream about like, oh, how can we get this data? And now the problem has really flipped into we have too much data, and how do we how do we build the systems to make sense of it and to actually use it? So. Very interesting, Jordan. I I appreciate you coming on the show, and um, I hope hope you and your colleagues will continue to be very active in the Geomob Berlin scene and and keep us updated and come back in the uh, in the coming coming events and uh, keep so we can keep tabs on this rapidly evolving space. So definitely, yeah. Thanks so much, and it's it, uh, really exciting. Enjoyed the conversation. If someone wants to get in touch with you and, or to learn more, what is the best way for them to do that? Look me up on LinkedIn, look Peregrine AI up on
1: LinkedIn. Uh, we have, of course, an exciting homepage that uh, just uh, experienced a uh, rework. So find peregrine.ai and, uh, of course, at the next GeoMob
0: uh, event in, in Berlin. Well, all right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks again for coming on the show, yard. Thanks a lot, Ed. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is GeoMob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a GeoMob event soon.